We're going through the book of Luke. I just told somebody a while ago when they asked me to teach, I went through the the list of what everybody else was teaching. (laughs) That narrowed it down for me somewhat. Had to do the same thing considering when we do the men's Bible study starting Monday. But we're in Luke and we made our way into the fifth chapter. We had a review last week because we were gone all summer. I ask where you fit in the story, especially last week. Today, we may ask that same question. We're looking at things that you may think are somewhat mundane. Uh, There's nothing real exciting happening here, is there? (laughs) Or is there? There are exciting things to be seen here about how Jesus is working and interacting with people. You know, I don't know if you're like this. I sometimes think, what would I have been like walking with Jesus? Man, wouldn't that have been excited? I would have been groveling at his feet. And then I think, well, there was Peter. <laughs> well, there was Judas. Didn't they walk with him? We need to ask the Lord to seal these things to our hearts and minds. We're going to take off from uh, verse 33 of Luke chapter 5. Let me read this. And they said to him, the disciples of John fast often and offer prayers, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink. And Jesus said to them, can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. He also told them a parable. No one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, he will tear the new, and the piece from the new will not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins. It'll be spilled, and the skins will be destroyed. But new wine must be put into fresh wineskins, and no one, after drinking the old wine, desires new, for he says the old is good. So today we ask the question, what about fasting? I won't ask you to raise your hand. Any of you ever fasted for a spiritual reason? Amen, that's good, that's good. It's a worthwhile thing. It is not, it is not mandatory, you know, but it is a blessed thing to do that, to seek after God in that way. We are not told when this occurred. It is not necessarily right on the heels of what we looked at last week, which was what? Anybody here? (laughs) What took place? The call of Matthew. And this incident takes place, I think, shortly after that, but not exactly on the heels of that. And we have the story comes into play with a question. The, uh, they said to him, who is they? Some people, Hendrickson says, I believe it was... Uh, mostly Pharisees at this time who are questioning our Lord. They said to him, the disciples of John fast often and offer prayers, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink. That's an implied accusation, isn't it? (laughs) Look, these other disciples do this, but yours eat and drink. What an affrontery to say this to Jesus Christ, the Son of God. (laughs) You know, you're doing a lot of nice things, but I gotta ask you about this. Why 
does this not take place, this fasting? What do we know about fasting? There's one in particular that was called for in the word of God. You know what that was? We go all the way back to Leviticus to see this. What took place? What specifically high Jewish holiday took place? Beg your pardon? The Day of Atonement. Thank you, brother. (laughs) I appreciate that. That was when the Jews were called to fast in particular. But listen, think a minute of all the other times it took place in Scripture. That was the one mandated. But do you know any others in, in Scripture where this took place, fasting? Yes, he did. A number of times I think he fasted, but the one in particular you're talking about. Anything else? Esther asked that people ask for her before she went before the king. Esther, you say? Yes, amen. Yeah, good example. In the book of Judges, they got up and they fasted from sunrise to sunset in anticipation of a battle. They were licking their wounds from a previous loss. In anticipation of having to go back to battle, they fasted. What happened when King Saul died? Well, the nation, even though it was Saul, I say that as opposed to David, the nation respected him as king and they fasted seven days at, uh, you might want to say, at his funeral. Daniel fasted a number of times, particularly in chapter 10 with regard to a vision he was having. And he needed, I believe, spiritual insight, which is a good reason to fast, in my opinion. That's my opinion. (laughs) In Exodus, there was a 40-day fast. Do you remember what that was all about? Well, you should be able to guess who that involved. Who's the hero of Exodus? Moses. He fasted 40 days in anticipation of meeting with the Lord to receive the law. Now that's serious uh, religion there, isn't it? That's, it's, there's also fasts in Zechariah. There's two of them there. And then in Luke, where we are too, let me just run ahead. I'll read this to you in Luke chapter 18. Someday, Lord willing, we'll get there to Luke 18. But in verse 12, we read this. Uh, let me start back there. The Pharisee, I'm at verse 11. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. This Pharisee, this self-righteous man fasted. Well, in our story here, who are the people that are fasting that these Uh, accusers bring up to Jesus. It's right there in the text. Who is it? It is the disciples of John. They fast. Well, this is a good person to bring up, isn't it? This is a religious leader. This is a righteous leader of Israel and his disciples are fasting. What's wrong with yours, Jesus? Why are they not fasting? Now, you can answer a lot of ways about this. Why would the disciples of John fast? Yes. 
he had been, been crucified, not crucified. He had been sacrificed, if you will, for the cause of Christ. Even before he died, John was an aesthetic. I mean, he dressed in rough clothing. He ate a very simple, dedicated diet in order to focus on the reason he was called. What else? What was the thrust of John the Baptist's ministry? Repentance. That would call for fasting, wouldn't it? When we get into repentance. That was not the direct thrust of Jesus' ministry. He was going to finish that ministry of repentance by bringing salvation. So John, there were reasons why John was in prison for a time. Perhaps his disciples were fasting then. And maybe in, your, in our own lives, our sin may call for fasting. I'm not about to dig that out or research that or anything, but we may seriously fall and we want to be honest and blunt and face-to-face -face with our God and we may fast for a day or two. I understand that many years ago, <laughs> there were not many children in this church and some people took it upon themselves. That's how the 5.30 prayer meeting started on Sunday afternoons. And I think some of those people even fasted and uh, lo and behold, God answered and we need nursery workers. <laughs> okay. But uh, that's how uh, things get rolling sometimes. You need to stop, cl clear all the clutter away and focus on our Savior, on our God. John called for repentance. John said, uh, and his disciples, he came not eating or drinking, but he was dedicated to what he was doing. The Pharisees come and they're upset in this passage. They come and they say in an accusing way, the disciples of John fast often, often, and offer prayers. Who are they really saying this to? <laughs> they're really saying this to Jesus Christ. What's going on, Jesus? Don't you know what the disciples of John do? This is a critical attitude. And we're beginning to see in our study here in Levi, uh, not in Levi, <laughs> I looked at the word there, in Luke, that the momentum is building. What momentum? The momentum to get rid of Jesus Christ, to get rid of him, to kill him, to be blunt, to kill him. The Pharisees are upset. The reason for the fast that we uh, brought up from the Old Testament were for spiritual reasons in the, in the most cases. Uh, it was for mourning over the king, King Saul. It was definitely for spiritual reasons when they prayed over Esther, when Moses was going up to receive the law. It's a good thing, and, and that, was, that was good. And so the Pharisees want to, look, this is the way we do things, Jesus. Do you not see this? Do you not see this? What we're talking about here it, with regard to fasting is to get to a spiritual end. Now, I know that doesn't make God do what we want him to do just because we fast any more than our prayers make God change his mind and do what we want him to do. But it is an attitude of our heart when we do these kind of things. But the problem with the Pharisees is that wasn't what was going on here. When the Pharisees add fasting to their routine, what they were doing is building merit. 
It's almost like some churches we know uh, that are outside the pale of Presbyterianism and Reformed religion. They want to build merit. That's the religion of the Pharisees. If we're not careful, we can fall into that kind of trap. You know, one of the tricks of rearing children (laughs) is to keep this thing right. You're going to do this not to build merit with mom and dad, although you will, but you're going to do this because we think this is what the scripture teaches, how you should live before the Lord. And they will build merit with us when they do that. But that's a side effect. That's a side effect. (laughs) The Pharisees wanted to build merit. In Matthew 23, we have some woes pronounced. And one of those woes to the Pharisees is uh, a woe over this tradition that they were mired in. This is what their religion was, wasn't the true religion. With the apostles, it was a godly tradition to do something like this, that they had to uh, fast, if you will. The Pharisees take it from, and this is our position as as a church, I'm, I'm sure, you may fast if you want. But the Pharisees have flipped this over. You must fast. Again, look at the effrontery of this. They're telling Jesus, the son of man, the son of God, what he must do. That's what they're doing here. Look how Jesus answers them in 34 and 35. Can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and then they will fast in those days. It's an implied answer here to this. What is it? Can you make people fast when the bridegroom has come? What's he talking about? What example from life is Jesus using? A wedding. I have never gone to a wedding reception and, and we got the word we're fasting. No, I was lined up over, over at the cold shrimp, you know. I want to get some of this shrimp. I love it. We have a celebration. At the time of this uh, instance here in the scriptures, a wedding took up to a week to celebrate. This wasn't a time for mournful, sorrowful fasting. It was a great time of celebration. Can you imagine a week? (laughs) Dads who pay for weddings, can you imagine paying for a week? Man, but that's what the tradition was. We're going to celebrate this. Maybe some of our marriages would last longer if we started off on a foot like that. Look, this is serious. We're going to celebrate a week. We're going to put our stamp on this. this. This was a, you know, propriety here did not call for fasting at a wedding. Listen to me. This is the time for eating, for drinking, for celebrating. What's he saying? In redemptive history, guess what, Pharisees? The bridegroom has come. The bridegroom is here. He might as well have said, don't you know who I am? (laughs) I'm the promised one. I am the bridegroom. I'm standing right in front of you. Can't you see? And the truth is, none of us would see unless the Spirit enlightened us, would we? We'd still be wandering around in darkness. On the surface, 
there's a wedding going on here in the words of Jesus. But beyond that deeper, the bridegroom is here. I need you to see that. Wouldn't it be absurd to go to a wedding and have to not eat or celebrate? <laughs> It'd be like giving a sympathy card to newlyweds, okay? All jokes aside, none of us give a sympathy card, not even to the groom, <laughs> at a wedding. We don't do that. <laughs> if, you have a, if you celebrate a child's birthday and have a party, you don't serve some kind of... Uh, Raw vegetables and a bland dip and a glass of water. If you're a grandparent, I say, uh, I have experience here. We serve them cake, ice cream, and pop, and then send them home with a sugar high. Say, God bless you, Mom and Dad. (laughs) That's how we celebrate a child's birthday, right? Look, how absurd is what I'm saying? Well, that's what the Pharisees should have seen. How absurd. Are these things? It is a celebration, not a dirge, and it's a long celebration. It's very interesting that Christ Himself is this bridegroom, and how He doesn't really build Himself up in particular here. He gives them this example: when the bridegroom is there, there's celebration. But look what else He says as part of that answer: the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them. And then they will fast in those days. What is he talking about? It's one of the earliest instances where Jesus prophesies his own death. The time will come when the bridegroom is not here anymore. And that will be the time for celebration. Now you think of the sermon Jesus could have taken from that and preached. A number of other message, another of under other verses he could have re- referenced them to, like uh, one of my favorite, John fourteen six. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. That's the bridegroom I'm talking to you about, you Pharisees. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must, must be saved. From the Book of Acts, that's me. I'm telling you about Pharisees, the bridegroom. Or he might have said like Paul wrote in 1 Timothy, for there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. They are missing all of this. He who gave himself a ransom for for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time, we read in scripture. This is the time and the Pharisees aren't listening. Jesus is walking on earth among these people. Son of man, son of man, come. And they're missing this. However, the days will come when he is gone. Gives us this early uh, indication of his death. Want to remember Isaiah 53, these words, by oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. What are the Pharisees doing? What is their job? Teachers of the law. That's why they're hanging around the synagogue when Jesus shows up. They're supposed to be there working, teaching. Did they not know the prophets? This is from Isaiah. This was written 
eight centuries, I think, before Christ came. They don't know this. Have you not read about this one, that the bridegroom here standing? There are many references. I'll just give you a few about the suffering servant Jesus is especially seen in Luke. He's alluding to that here in this 35th verse. In Luke chapter 6 and, and 21, I'll just read that one. That's easy to get to. Uh, we read this. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. It's directly from Isaiah. It's from Isaiah chapter 61. We have references from Luke 7, Luke 8, Luke 10, Luke 19, 20, 21. Repeatedly referring back to Isaiah, this prophet that these Pharisees should have if they weren't venerated for his ministry. And they didn't even know these things. Their minds were closed. They had no idea what was going on here. Even in this verse 35, if you go back to Isaiah 53 and verse three, you see what Jesus was talking about right here before them. Well, I'm looking for the most part at Christians here today, but you know, there are people who, who may not see this, and I hope you do, that what took place in Isaiah 53 is being fulfilled here in Luke. Yes, brother. Yes, 535. It's taken away. Uh, that word in the original is aparte, which is actually where we get the it's a root in the word apartheid, which means to be forcibly separated, forcibly taken away, forcibly uh, lifted up. That word uh, in the Septuagint is is used. Uh -huh. In Isaiah 53, 8 that you referred to, yes. that's the same word that is used in, in that translation of the Old Testament, which is Jesus in his language. And it's here in Luke 5. Yeah. How interesting. How interesting. Thank you, brother. All signs here indicate to the Pharisees who they're dealing with, but they do not have eyes to see or hearts to believe. It's interesting. It is sad too. Well, the second major thing I want you to see is how Jesus supports what he's saying with two parables. Beginning in verse 36, he also told them a parable. No one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, he will tear the new and the piece from the old will not match the old. Or the piece from the new will not match the old. Any of you ladies still sew? Or any of you men sew? <laughs> my mother taught me how to put on a button, but I don't ever see any ladies sewing anymore. If I need something done to my trousers, I don't ask Christine. I drove over to drive over to Stone Avenue where there's a, an alteration store <laughs> and get it done. But doesn't this make sense? You're not going to tear a piece from a new garment and put it on the old. Why not? It's like patching clothes. Why don't you do it this way? <laughs> He says right there, if he tears it from a new, puts it on the old, if he does, he will tear the new, obviously, to get that piece off of it, that patch. 
and they'll take the and it will not match the old. You got a, an aggravated problem. You're trying to solve it this way and it doesn't work. It just doesn't work. Jesus is telling them, you don't want to tear the new. I had the experience of having to buy some clothes last week and I hadn't been shopping for clothes in a long time and I was aghast at what I had to pay for a shirt. <laughs> I, there's no way I'm letting anybody cut that up to patch somebody's blue jeans. It was enlightening and it was uh, breathtaking. <laughs> and, and you don't do any either one of the garments any good. Now, is this going to sink in? <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think so. What Jesus is, of course, talking to as well, we'll later see, is the inclusion of the Gentiles into this message. Jesus is going to give some indication of that. We're going to see a full uh, opening up of that when we see Paul come. The old and the new wineskins. Why won't this work? Generally, they took the skin of a goat or a sheep and they prepared it to hold beverage. I don't know what that took. My guess is it would not be a Jew that did that. They would not handle these dead animals to do this, but somebody would. They would be unclean if they did that. It doesn't mean, I guess, that they wouldn't, but they probably wouldn't be the first to step up and do it. So what's the problem here? No one puts new wine into old wineskins. Why not? If he does, the new wine will burst the skins and it will be spilled and the skins will be destroyed. Why will it burst them? What happens to the new wine? It's fermenting. It's building up steam in there. It's going to have to expand. It's going to have to move somewhere. That's not going to work. What is this all about? This is about the kingdom of God, which these Pharisees do not comprehend. These spiritual leaders do not comprehend what's going on here. This is the kingdom of God. Jesus is saying, listen. And uh, if it was me, I'd say, you knuckleheads, listen. Christ is telling them, you are not going to put my kingdom into your old and antiquated idea about what the kingdom of God is like. Our God will not be contained by the mind of men. The Pharisees need to see this. He's saying you can't squeeze this into the old way. It is not going to work. None of that is going to work anymore. They're going to see there is no need for all those sacrifices that you so arduously follow and perform. You're going to see gone are all those because the one acceptable sacrifice is here. The Messiah and his age has come, a new age. And he, this one here, the bridegroom, will fulfill the law of God. In your early years as a Christian, did you ever, I say this because I think I did this a couple of times, did you ever sit down and try to go through a day without sinning? I mean, consciously do it. I tried this. It's one of the reasons I'm as crazy as I am today. You try to measure everything you think and say in the course of a day, not to mention the things you do, and see where you did not sin. Well, 
It's easier to see where you did sin. It crops up so many times. And Jesus is saying, a sacrifice has come for that. And every one of your sins, every day of your life, here in this bridegroom, there ought to be celebration. This ought to be the current mood, joy and celebration. I would ask our brother for a testimony here. There's joy and celebration when you guys find someone who accepts the Lord on Main Street. I read it in the evangelism report when it happens. Sadly, it's too infrequent, isn't it, brother, for the many times you present the message. But we don't get down in the mouth about this. We celebrate. We publish it in the evangelism news every week. It's a time for celebration. That's the current way we ought to be thinking about things. Peter writes about this in 1 Peter. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is, inex that is express inexpressible, filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. What does Peter say? <laughs> you rejoice in this. Do you rejoice in your salvation? I, I am baffled sometimes when I think about it. When I became a Christian, the Lord promised to save me from all my sins. You know, that was a few years ago. When I became Christian, I wasn't done living. He knew all the sins I have committed since then. He said, I'll forgive them. I'll forgive. He is outside of us time-wise. When he saves us, he saves us not only from the things we've committed, which we know about and we're burdened by, but even the things that we will do. What a God we have. That's one of the reasons we can rejoice. This is new. This is not a patch on the problem. This is not a little bit of tar to fill the pothole on the street. This is a brand new thing, not a patch. Donald Gray Barnhouse called this the expulsive power of a new affection. What a way to put it. What a way to put it. The old Judaistic, legalistic, joyless, Fasting, that is worn wineskins, is done away with. It's out of line with what Jesus brings, really is. The Pharisees, William Hendrickson says this, preferred stuffiness to fresh air. Isn't that interesting? We want the old way. I imagine part of the reason is because they were in charge. Look, we'll tell you how to celebrate, uh, how to fast. We tell you, what would they use? They would use the Talmud, which is a, a book of uh, civil and religious uh, Jewish laws that had to be followed that were outside the Pentateuch. Do you know there were about 590 some references to the Sabbath that they had? What did Jesus, what did our Lord say? Well, in Exodus 20, he said, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. And on this day, you shall do this and not do this. It took two sentences. And they have accumulated a book worth of things that they had to watch out after that, about this and about how to, how to fast. On this, this is how you'll do this. This is how often you'll do it. Generally, don't we think of the old as better? 
in some ways. We do when we're thinking about a bottle of wine. We want aged wine, don't we? We want the old paths. We remember when things were different, when they were really good. I'm getting to that age where I reflect on a lot of things that were better than they are now. But in our country, we seem to take things in reverse. Everything has got to be new. <laughs> oh, the new and improved, the new and improved electric car. My question is, where are you going to put all those batteries when they die? <laughs> the things that are associated with... So you got to think things through. What Jesus is saying is, you got to turn your thinking around. You're missing the point. The old is not better. The new, the best is here. The bridegroom has come. It's time to celebrate. It takes grace to want this new wine. You remember the first miracle that Jesus performed in his earthly ministry? It's in the book of John. What did he do? Yeah. And this was brand new, wasn't it? The father, the host of this thing, had run out of wine. What did the guests say about that wine? We don't, who keeps the best for last? Everybody's half drunk. They don't even appreciate the taste, right? Maybe that's the idea. I don't know when they said that. But Christ has come. This is better than anything we can imagine. Anybody saved out of some other denomination other than Presbyterianism? Anybody? I heard certainly was. Things change. Anybody saved out of a wretched past where you didn't know anything about church or anything? Isn't this better? You see Jesus Christ now? I'm not saying the Baptists don't have a hold on that, but when you came over here and you saw this, you said, well, this is what I want. I was that way not when I became a Presbyterian, but when I discovered the Reformed faith. Man, all these years I thought I got saved because Jesus saw that I would respond positively to his word. word. <laughs> Guess what? I never would have responded positively to that word unless the spirit came. That's the one we're talking about. That's how he moves. We saw that, and I don't know how many of these Pharisees were there, but we saw that last week when Jesus walked by and said to Levi, later Matthew, follow me. What was his response? He didn't say, oh, I really, I need to talk to the Pharisee first. I'm not sure this is right, that I should follow you. He didn't say that at all. He got up and followed Jesus Christ. The bridegroom is here. Let's celebrate that.